One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Adi Oladipo here. Thank you so much for downloading Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're here every single Tuesday live on TalkSport to myself and the great Gareth A. Davis. If you can't join us live, remember to subscribe to the Fight Night podcast channel. So much other great content there as well, such as Fight Night, Fight of My Life, and even the Mike Tyson story, The Boy from Brownsville. This is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Good evening, this is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Myself, Addy on the Deeper. Look, if you love your boxing and you love your MMA, then this is the show for you where we bring you all the latest from the world of combat sports this week. There is no Gareth, so we've drafted in one half of the Fight Disciples. The one and only Nick Pete joins us fresh off the plane as well from the Big Apple in New York where he was covering at UFC 268. We are going to recap that incredible night at Madison Square Garden. By the way, not a bad fight. From top to bottom on the whole card, every single fight delivered, which is incredible. We're going to talk about uh, the state of UFC as well following some of those fights. We'll also be discussing the latest in Canelo Alvarez's career after he unified the super middleweight division with that win of a Caleb plant in Vegas over the weekend. And we're here from Kid Galahad, head of his world title fight with Kiko Martinez this week in Sheffield. Busy show, loads to get through. Don't go anywhere. find a way to hold on to try and stifle him but he can't and down he goes for the second time the fight's all over Alvarez has done it it took a long time to come but when it came when the opening came he finished it quite brilliantly from Sheffield England Kid Gallagher by unanimous decision and still UFC welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare, Bruce Buffer's just amazing, isn't it? It's going to be so difficult when Bruce Buffer's not there. Like, Bruce Buffer wasn't at UFC 267. Blahovich versus... And it's like, it's not the same thing, is it? It's just not... like It's like it's almost like buying a wish, isn't it? It's just not the same thing. And there's no disrespect to the guy covering him, but it's just such a big person to cover. And it was really good to see 
Uh, Bruce Buffer back in the octagon for UFC 268. It was an absolutely ridiculous fight card. I mean, Nick Pete joins us now, half of Fight Disciples. He was there. Nick, you've covered, I don't know how many UFC events over the years. You've covered a lot of boxing events as well. And you know what it is? Sometimes you see the, the fights on paper and you think, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. And they don't deliver. They don't. You saw this. Like I saw Gaethje charred and I thought, oh my God, please, it's going to deliver. I didn't expect the whole car to deliver and it all did. It was absolutely insane. You know, six consecutive knockouts leading up to the main card and then the main card throws up probably a fight of the century contender, a fight of the year contender yeah. straight after it, then another knockout of the year contender and then we had two title fights where, you know, the, the challenger absolutely turned up and you had split decisions across the cards. So as far as events go, Adi, they pretty much don't get any better than that. You're right. What's it like being out in the States uh, for this? Obviously, it's a, a country now opening up, right? I mean, now uh, tourists can fly out to the States from, what, yesterday, I believe. What was it like yeah. being out in America? It was just incredible. Again, you know, you felt really kind of blessed. You know, I was there a month a month ago. I was over in Las Vegas for uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder Part 3. And, you know, that was one of the greatest fights I've ever been ringside for as well. You know, two, two as well as Gaethje Chanda, two, mm. two events there, two fights there in 20, almost 22 years covering fight sports professionally. I've got two fights in the space of a month, which are right up into my top 10 easily. <laughs> so I, I, it's been blessed. But yeah... It, Listen, it was kind of different at the weekend because, you know, all of America, everyone's been starved of UFC. Most of the events have been taking place at the Apex. You know, yeah. the UFC, they do cards pretty much every weekend. And 80% of them are taking place behind closed doors at the Apex, their own facility in Las Vegas. And it's only now they've started venturing out kind of once a month to do events internationally or across the States. So New York's been starved in an event for the best part of 18 months as well. And you could tell. Everybody in New York was just desperate to see the UFC come back. So the atmosphere was incredible. The card absolutely delivered. So it was unreal. Whereas Fury Wilder a month before, yes, the fight itself absolutely delivered. But I came away thinking, oh man, imagine if there was 10,000 Brits yeah. in there tonight. It would have been next level. And it would have been. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we are going to touch on uh, the main event, Usman versus Co Covington, in terms of what you thought the scorecards were. And, you know, some people, I spoke to some, I spoke to uh, Neil McGraw yesterday, and he thought, you know what? You could have given it to Kobe. But we'll, we'll touch on that a bit. What I do want to talk about, though, is at the end, where they embraced and the mask finally slipped a bit from Kobe, where he's like, you know what? I had to do this. I had to become who I've become because, you know, he was on a stage of maybe being cut from the UFC. He was very. I thought very authentic in his post uh, match. Uh, sorry, the post uh, post fight press conference as well. I think we saw a different Kobe after. Or was that just me? No, I think you're right. And uh, you know, funnily enough, we were we were speaking to John Anik, the UFC presenter and commentator, a couple of days before the fight, and asked him the same thing because I only get to see Colby the stick, Colby the professional heel, mm. the guy that he's invented to wind everybody up. But by the way, that works. Yeah, you know, for any yeah. fighters out there, you know, listen, that's how you put bums on seats. Either mm -hmm. make people care about you that they want to see you win, or care about you enough to want to see you lose. Either way, as long as they're paying, you're doing your job. So, uh, but I spoke to John Anik and a little bit of insight, John, you know, you get to see him away from the cameras just because kind of, they have a meeting backstage with the presenting team where yeah. they ask questions, which they're allowed to make notes for for the live broadcast and stuff. And John said, you know, away from the media, away from everybody else, he's a completely different That's person. That's crazy. He's actually quite, you know, uh, <laughs> technically driven. He gives a lot of respect to his opponents. He talks about his opponent's strengths and weaknesses against the zone. He's a lot more rational. But of course... 
Colby Covington is all about being the heel. He's all mm. about selling the pay-per-view, selling tickets. So he comes out and he puts on a show. And, and you've got to understand, that's that's prize fighting. Yeah. That's how you make money. You know, look at Muhammad Ali. He's seen Gorgeous George, the wrestler in the yeah, 1950s. Yeah. He's seen how he did it and said, right, when I turn professional, I'm going to be larger than life. I'm going to be the Louisville lip. That's going to make people care. And a, a good friend of both of ours, Tony Bellew. Mm. I knew him as Anthony growing up. You know, I still know him as Anthony now. <laughs> And it was only at boxing when I go, oh, here he comes. Here's, here's Tony the Bomber now. Completely different personality, yeah. but it sold. And it, and it made him a big star, made him a lot of money, and made people care one way or another. Colby Covington's just exactly the same. Yeah, you, you speak about someone making a lot of money. No one in boxing making any as much. Or, well, maybe AJ's close, but no one's making as much money as Canelo. Obviously, who unified the super middleweight division uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning, beating Keller Plant, stopping him in the 11th round. Like I've always, I've, got, I've already got my personal opinions on Canelo. I'm going to try and part them for a second and just appreciate uh-huh. this man sort of cleaning up the division in 11 months. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously there'll always be, there'll always be an asterisk next to his name because mm. of the Clem Brutal situation. And, you know, obviously this is, it's not cycling, it's not athletics, this is fight sports. And yeah. anyone that willingly takes any kind of PED and goes into a fight for me, that's like loaded gloves. You know, yeah. that, that really, yeah. you know, it's, there's no excuse for it. Um, obviously, he got a slap on the wrist. You could say he saved his time. He moves on. Putting that aside for a second, what Canelo Alvarez has managed to do in the last 12 months is nothing short of remarkable. And listen, only Canelo can do it because, mm-hmm. of course, he's the biggest fish in the sea. So everybody wants to fight Canelo. So he can pick and choose pretty much who he wants to fight, which is how he's been able to you know, ring fence all these belts at 12 stone in such a quick fashion because he is the biggest star. But that said... He didn't have to do that. He could easily have, you know, carried on handpicking fighters like like Floyd did when he yeah. became the biggest pay-per-view draw in the sport. He could have continued to just pick handpickers fighters just to make as much money as possible. But he isn't. He's got legacy in mind, you know, and he want he knows he's got to repair the damage he's done to his legacy. And the best way to do that is keep testing clean and keep cleaning up divisions. You know, he did it at middleweight. Now he's done it at super middleweight inside twelve months, which is just mental. You know, when you look at us, the three guys he did to do, he, he ran through to do it as well. Callum Smith, Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant, all undefeated, about <laughs> 70 wins and no losses on, on their collective <laughs> register, and three completely different styles as well, Addy. Unbelievable, unbelievable what he's done. No, it really is ridiculous. And what I, I like about him as well, because he's not, look, he's affiliated and connected to the zone. Uh, we both know that, but. He's a free agent. He can go where he wants. So if there is a big fight to be made on PBC, he will jump ship and go to PBC. So he's not tied down as well. And maybe, you know, I guess there's, to an extent, maybe boxers should look at that as well and, and be in that yeah. free agent to go wherever you want to make the biggest bucks and to give us the fight fans what we want to see as well. He says he's not coming back out again until May. What, what weight class is he coming back out against, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, of course, you know, we want to know how far this greatness can st- extend to, you know, where, where's he going to finish his career in this GOAT conversation? And, yeah. you know, obviously because of his past histories, that is always going to be, always going to tarnish his name. But if he was able to go up to light heavyweight and do what he's done at, at super middleweight and middleweight up at light heavyweight, that would be nothing short of astounding. But mm. there's a couple of world champions now that I, I kind of fancy Canelo against just because of the way he fights the way he operates the pressure he puts on people obviously the Baterbia fight would be absolutely mental 
Um, but you know he's the biggest puncher. But if yeah, probably everybody's number one at that mm-hmm. weight class. Maybe that's not the first weight first where you go. But you know Dimitri Bivol, just as you mentioned, then he's got a tie with Matchroom and tie with the Zone. That wouldn't be a difficult fight for Eddie Hearn to make. That's two very short phone calls. So it, it really is down to Canelo. You know, I, maybe he should defend all these belts once at super middleweight as well. You know, a lot of champions always say you're not a true champion until you defend the belts. I know he's defended, you know, two of the belts here, but to defend all of the belts would be great. It'd be nice to have that on his ledger as well. But of course, you know, the super middleweight that gets that phone call has won the lottery because yeah. in one fight you can become undisputed champion of the world. So exactly so uh, i've got no idea who that may be there's obviously a good couple of candidates out there and david benavidez fights this weekend mm. with and obviously he's got mexican roots so if he comes through this weekend you better believe david benavidez will be rocking the microphone and asking for his shot at canelo yet another undefeated champion so i don't know the beauty of being canelo is everybody wants that money, doesn't he? Everybody wants that payday. So wants that he can pretty much do what he likes. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, you do wonder as well, GGG fights Morata in Japan in December. I mean, if he looks good, could he potentially go up 168, a trilogy? He won the first one. You could sell it right on the fact that he won the first one, lost the second one. I know he's he's old and he's not the same old GGG, but if you're running out of opponents, why not get him out? Uh, Kid Galad uh, fights this weekend as well. He takes on uh, Kiko Martinez, Kiko Martinez. Just, it's just a veteran, isn't he? I mean, he's always going to cause problems. I know people weren't happy with the matchup. I mean, I see what people say online, but your first defence, it's in Sheffield. Tick that box and potentially you get Josh or whoever next. Uh, Terry Harper yeah. fights on that card as well. Should be a decent little scrap for Terry as well. And, and I think a decent scrap. Look, Kiko will come and cause Kid some problems, but I think Kid right now is in the best place he's ever been. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely, you know, and you're right. It is what it is. You know, it's a it's a homecoming mm. for the new champion. That's you know, it. and and this is and this sometimes this happens in boxing, and that's fine because you know, right now the the right featherweight might not be available. I, you know, I'd love to see him in with Gary Russell Jr. Except yeah. Gary Russell Jr. hasn't fought for about three years. He just sits at home <laughs> with that WBC belt, admiring it in the mirror. So you know, there's opponents. There's obviously great fights out there for Kid Galahad. Unification fights. Um, because his performance against Jazza Dickens, I've got to be honest, it, it kind of blew me away. It's crazy. Uh, I was I was biased, of course. I've known Jazza since he was a, a young boy. I covered him when he won his first uh, junior ABA title uh, for Golden Gloves in Liverpool. So I know how hard he'd work to get there. And, you know, Kid as well has got a bit of a checkered past. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of questions about, you know, where his head was at. And I thought that fight was a 50-50, I've got to be honest. And I was completely wrong. Because Kid Galahad proved that night that there was only one truly world-class fighter inside that ring. And he gave Jazza Dickens a bit of a, a boxing lesson. So, listen, if the right opponent's not there now, and we are talking unification opponents, if if a current world champion of a different organisation isn't available right now, then I don't begrudge Kid Galahad having a, a hometown defence. And listen, Kiko Martinez is someone that British fans are familiar with, Addy. So, I, I understand why he's been picked. Mm. But let's face it, you know, this is, it is, it's a rolling out the red carpets. Let's have a party because Kiko's the champ. Indeed, I agree with you. All right, you're listening to Final Extra on TalkSport 2 in partnership with DAZN. Remember, you're boxing your way, DAZN game change. Still to come, we are going to recap that thrilling night in Madison Square Garden in the UFC. And we'll hear from Kid Galahad of his fight as well against Kiko Martinez this weekend. But up next, we're going to be talking about Saul Canelo Alvarez, the pound for pound king after he unified the super middleweight division with that win of a Caleb Plant. 
Biggest moment of Plant's life, arguably, you could say, the biggest of Alvarez's career as well, and the action underway. But yes, it's the left hook, and he's got him again, John. He's looking to take him out right now, Alvarez. He got that a bit closer, and that left hook that just kept missing for the first 10 rounds. So it landed, and it landed flush. And the moment it landed, and the moment you saw the change in Stella Keller Plant's body, that you saw the body language was, um, my legs are gone. Yeah, Canelo Alvarez unifying the 168-pound division. Bear in mind, this time last year, he didn't have no belt at 168 pounds. Uh, when he fought Callum Smith back in December, that was for Callum Smith's WBA and the vacant WBC. Then he fought Billy Joe Saunders in May for the WBO. And now the IBF chucking the ring magazine, chucking any other little any other little trophy that the WBC and Marissa Suleiman want to give them as well. All right, you're listening to Final Extra here on TalkSport 2. Happy to be joined by a half of Fight Disciples, Nick Pete, who was... Uh, in New York watching the UFC. We are going to chat about that in another section a bit later. Let's talk about Canelo Alvarez. Um, very, very special talent. And I guess the bi- the biggest thing as well, Nick, is it, there's a lot of special talents in boxing, but nowadays, and you know this, um, you get to see them once a year. You know, if you're lucky, yeah. once every eight months. Canelo's given us this every four months, five months max. Yeah, no, it's crazy. When you look at, say, the we mentioned them earlier, Gary Russell Jr., the feather, mm. WBC featherweight champion, he's literally had four fights in the last five years. Crazy. You know, and, and Callum Smith's at, and he's still world champion, by the way, <laughs> over 20 months without a defence or something mental. But, uh, you know, we've seen, as well as those three, he's also taken care of one of his mandatories, uh, Avni Wieldrum yeah, as well. So yeah. he's had four fights in 11 months that Canelo has had. <laughs> this is the pound for pound biggest star in the sport, you know, that he has got absolutely no reason to fight this often. But he's doing it because he feels like he's in a race against time now to truly define his legacy. You know, he's been in the sport a long time. Mm. He's taken over the mantle from Floyd Mayweather as the, pig- the biggest pay per view draw in all of boxing. And he wants to maximize, you know, that what career he's got left. The, the scary thing is, He's still only 31 years of age. Is he he could even be getting better at this stage? I know he's had six professional though, fights, it, but wow, yeah. That's scary because I mean, look, we both watch a bit of football. And normally, once you you know, you come through young, you look at you know the Wayne Rooney's and the Michael Owens of the world, you do fade. You can't yeah. you can't keep going. And that's why both of those guys, yes, injuries to Owen, but they faded. Once they got to like 26, 27, it started to kind of go backwards. Looking at Canelo, he started so young at 15. And all of a sudden at 31 and he's active and you think there is no deterioration here this guy just keeps on going yeah exactly and it's just because he doesn't he doesn't take too many big shots mm. you know even against Caleb Plant you know I, I I'll be honest Plant surprised me at the weekend I thought he had more success than I expected him to yeah he certainly lasted longer than I expected him to as well mm. um I personally had him you know I, I thought he won three maybe even four rounds yeah yeah out of this out of the ten that went through so he you know he was a live opponent and I thought he threw a nice sharp jab out there he didn't the problem with Caleb Plant he didn't hit Canelo at any point and that's the point I'm trying to make mm. Billy Joe Saunders never hit Canelo at any point Callum Smith never hit Canelo at any point in the fight, um, and that's it. He's not he's not taking a lot of damage in the mm. fights that he's going through, and he's obviously sparring smart as well. So I think that's why, he, like for me, he looked sensational against both Callum and Billy Joe. Since you could even argue best performances of his career. I think at the weekend that wasn't necessarily one of his best performances, but it was just. It reminded me a little bit, little bit of the way Usyk goes about his business. You know, he was patient early on. He yeah. didn't mind Caleb Plant flicking out the jab and potentially losing a round or two on the judges' scorecards just due, due to momentum or uh, volume of punches. 
because he knew at some stage you're going to start to tire and that's when I will come alive. And mm. as soon as Caleb Plant just went down a gear around the middle of the fight, I had a pretty level around six. Yeah. And then from there, it was just all Canelo, all pressure, all front foot. And Caleb Plant, suddenly that big ring probably felt about five foot wide. Yeah, he couldn't get away. Look, Caleb Plant uh, demonstrated good defence, right? That Philly show, fighting on the yeah. back foot, like you say, putting the jab, jab out into the head, into the body. And then he started to tire, and he's like, why is this guy not tiring? <laughs> like, what is front? It must be so demoralizing. This guy's in front of you, and you're getting tired. You're doing so much work. He's making you work because you're mentally fatigued. You're thinking of what to do because, you know, if you step the wrong way, he's going to hit you with a left hook, and, you know, he's, he's, he's going to go to the body soon, and he's not getting tired. And that must feel, that must feel hard. And someone's got to dent him to stop this kid because... And I, and I don't know who can, because I remember when he fought Golovkin the first time and Golovkin hit him with a right hand. And I was like, if that didn't dent you, then all bets are off. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And But, you know, listen, he, as you say, he's been around for such a long time. He looks like he's carved out of stone these days. Mm. But the, the, the thing with, with Canelo as well, I, like, I thought Caleb Plant at the weekend, the one thing Caleb Plant didn't do at the weekend was freeze. True. And we've seen that happen a lot before with, with world champions who stand across... Uh, from Canelo, you know, they just they just get caught up in the moment too much. And I think part of that is testament to Caleb Plant's own planning and getting his head right and, and you know, being in the moment. But also I think a big part of it was the fact that the fight took place at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas because that's a 16,000, 18,000 seater arena, whatever mm. it may be. Yeah. The likes of Caleb Plant have fought in arenas like that before. True. You know, and, and, and I've kind of felt that kind of crowd and fought at the MGM before. It's familiar to him. I look back to his performances against Callum Smith and Billy Joe Saunders. Oh, Stadium fights 80, in Texas. against BJ. 70, 80,000. Yeah. That's what I mean. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're, you're very acutely reminded of how big the stage finally is. Mm. And I thought Billy Joe in a second got caught in the headlights. I think Callum Smith absolutely got caught in the headlights. I think it's a, a big favour when you face someone like Canelo on a, in a regular size arena because mm. suddenly you think, okay, well... This is kind of normal to me. You know, Daniel Jacobs had decent success and even Kovalev early on had decent success against Canelo. Both fought him in Las Vegas at regular size arenas. I think when you get him in those Superdomes in, down in Texas, forget about it because you've never see, even seen anyone, anything like that in boxing before. Mm -hmm. And it can be massively intimidating. And people might say, oh, there he goes. He's just defending the two British lads now. But that, I, I truly believe that would absolutely impact on you walking out and 80,000 Mexicans are booing you compared to say 10,000 in Las Vegas I, that's a that's a huge advantage that Canelo uh, took of course and let's not fights. forget as well with Billy Joe he, he, they made him walk in by himself that ring walk yes by himself <laughs> at least Caleb Plant had the rapper with him and a few other friends yeah. surrounded him Billy Joe was like nope you want to go to this we're going to make it gladiatorial you're going to go in by yourself and they're going to boo you and Billy Joe as good and calm as he thinks he was no one can take that. Um, exactly. What's Canelo doing it for now, then? I mean, he's, he's cleaned up now, right? I mean, this is a guy, what, 61 fights, I think it is. The only defeat is Floyd. Um, mm. Are we now doing it for chasing greatness? Is he trying to now become the best Mex Mexican ever, which is probably still around the, the neck of Julio Cesar Chavez? What's the, what's the want now? I think so, absolutely. It's about legacy now, isn't it? It's about truly going down as well. Not just the greatest of this era, but one of the greatest of all time. And as I say, he's got that checkered past, which he's got he's to make that 
you know, not part of the conversation anymore. And a good way of doing that is continuing to break boundaries, continuing to unify belts. You know, we we ourselves bang the drum of the bin the belts campaign. Yeah. And of course, we're never going to get rid of every belt in boxing, but the the next best thing is for to have one champion with all the belts mm. in one weight division. And then, you know, you weld all them belts together and you, you know, you, you tell them all to Scarborough. But if, <laughs> if, if Canelo was going to continue at super middleweight, and he threw all the bins in the bin and went, well, I'm the super middleweight champion. I'll just keep the ring magazine belt. Everybody knows I'm the number one. Mm. Then those belts would be worthless as long as he's a 12 stone. And, and maybe that's true. the direction boxing has to go in. But I truly believe he will um, probably look at getting a defense in. Benavidez perfectly placed this weekend. As I say, I know he mentioned Charlo's name as well. Mm. Charlo potentially moving up to super middleweight. Golovkin would have to have a big performance in December and commit to moving up to 12 stone for the first time himself as well to have any hope of getting that shot in may but listen i'm sure he will i'm sure he will pull for it there will be a demand i think it's a little bit like floyd manny now though isn't it it feels like it's five years removed yeah if they were going to do the trilogy it kind of could have been should have been a few years ago because right now who would give a very aging golovkin much of a chance against the undisputed 12 stoner uh, finally on the fight uh, Caleb Plant obviously look you always talk about the victor sometimes forget about the victim uh, and Caleb Plant was the victim at the weekend but um, ha has he arrived are, are you looking at a guy that could still go on to when Canelo eventually vacates all the belts become a world champion again absolutely I think mm. by that performance you know he proved that he's a man for the big occasion and there's no there's no shame in losing to the pound for pound best boxer on the planet today is there at all so I think the likes of Caleb Plant and one or two others may be looking to see exactly what Canelo does next. You know, mm. we've seen the UK's own Zach Parker at the weekend and on the domestic card that yeah. came before it. And uh, he looks sensational defending his looks WBO. massive as well, belt. by the way. Oh, he looks huge. Yeah. And he is, he's the, the number one contender for the WBO belt. Of course, you know, it, it's highly unlikely he's going to get a shot at Canelo anytime soon. But... If Canelo does go to light heavyweight and those beds come fragmented, then as much as it would pain me to see, um, obviously, Zach Parker's in a wonderful position to fight for the vacant world title. So I think there's a bunch of guys now who are highly ranked with all these four governing bodies that are itching to see if Canelo moves on. And if they do... You know, you're going to have eight guys there that get shots at world titles. Indeed, we will. All right, you're listening to Find Extra on TalkSport 2 in partnership with DAZN. Remember, it's your boxing, it's your way. DAZN game change next. We're going to turn our attention to the weekend's card in Sheffield as Kid Galahad defends his IBF featherweight strap against Kiko Martinez. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... 
Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And it is all over. A moment to celebrate the young kid Galahad who finally becomes champion. And the new IBF featherweight champion of the world from Sheffield, England, Kid Gallagher! Alright, you're listening to Final Extra here on TalkSport 2. Myself, Andy Oladipo and Nick Pete with you. All right, let's take a look ahead now to the big fights lined up this weekend in partnership with DAZN. Big Fight Preview on TalkSport 2 with DAZN. Your boxing, your way. Download the DAZN app or visit DAZN.com. Kid Galahad makes his first defense of his IBF featherweight title against Kiko Martinez on Saturday night. Coming off that really good win at fight camp against Jazza Dickens. Galahad first in his home city as a world champion. He's been speaking with TalkSport's James Avundra about what Sheffield and fighting in Sheffield means to him. It's been a... It's been a long time coming. You know, it's one of my one of my goals as a, as a kid to be fighting there, defending my home, uh, defending my world title in front of my home crowd. You know, the likes of Nassim Hamed, Johnny Nelson, Junior Witter, Kel Brook, you know, Clinton Woods. The list goes on and on, and and it's you know it's crazy. But at the same time, I'm just focused on what I have to do when I get in there. You know. I just need to go in there and do a job on Kiko Martinez because it's going to be a tough night. It's going to be a hard fight. He comes to fight and I've got to do a job on him. You know, um, I can't, I can't, you know, uh, leave the ring and people thinking, oh, you know, he's going to come to fight because he's had a few bad decisions in the past. So, you know, he's he's kind of got the similar, same mentality in me in terms of, you know, he's he's, going in there and putting everything on the line. If he's got a die to win, then that's what he's going to do. You've spoken a lot about how important it is for you to, to carry on Brendan Ingle's legacy. Yeah. Why is he such an important figure for you? Because if it wasn't for Brendan, then I wouldn't be in this position, I wouldn't be in this position today. You know, yeah, I got myself to here to a certain degree, but for all these people that have helped me on the way, or guided me, or did things for me, then I would have never been in this position, you know. If if my mum had never took me to the gym when I was, you know, 12 years old, I wouldn't be in this position. You know, if I've never never spoke to Nassim Hamed at the local mosque, I wouldn't have been in this position, you know. If I didn't, you know, if, if, uh, if I never met Brendan, I wouldn't be in this position. If I didn't meet Dominic, I wouldn't have been in this position. If I didn't have seen all the things I had seen when I was a kid, being in the gym around all these champions, you know, the people who 
the fighters who, you know, were champions and, you know, they took the eye off the ball and made a certain mistake. And I, I went, oh, oh, I don't want to be making that same mistake. I tried to always learn off other people's mistakes and not make my own kind of mistakes. And, you know, if it weren't for Eddie giving me the opportunity after my band, then I wouldn't be in this position, you know, where other people didn't really want to give me no help or anything like that. Eddie always did. People, other, other people give me an um, opportunity. And if it weren't for all these people, then I wouldn't be in this position. And just in terms of, of Brendan in particular, do you hear and see Brendan in a lot of what you see in, in Dom? Yeah, 100%. You know, uh, the thing is, if I'm in the gym and I'm training and, and I'm shadow boxing or something, and if I do a little certain thing, I always remember little things that Brendan told me, you know, just certain things that he said to me, you know, and he kind of install things in you. And it's just mad because the things he's installed in me were just like, I don't really see you no know, other trainers doing the same kind of things. And, I'm, and I just sometimes think I was so lucky. I had a guy, as someone like him, who showed me the foundations of boxing properly. Because now when I see some of these other trainers come on through, I just sometimes sit back and I just think, I feel sorry for the kids because they haven't really got a clue. They think they they think like their trainer's doing well for them or getting to a certain degree or you know, teaching them certain things and really it's a load of nonsense. And I would just look at I would talk by Brendan, the proper foundations and just the whole experience the kid being in the Ingle Gym and laying off these other fighters, you know. I was taught the old school way, you know, because everyone in the gym was taught from the old school. The, or these other fighters now, it's not really like that no more. And I just feel like I'm the last of the dying breed. Maybe he is the last of the dying breed. Maybe he is from the Ingle camp. They're always going to produce champions because champions breed champions, and that's just how it works. There'll be young kids now in the gym that'll look at Kid Gallagher and think, oh, IBF featherweight champion, and they will then obviously up the game a bit more in the gym as well. But you think of that Ingle camp, Nick, and I mean... Obviously, Kel was holding that mantle for, for so long, and now it's been passed to Kid Galahad. And you're looking around and think, okay, who's he going to be passed to next? And, you know, he, he said it. You know, maybe he is the last of the dying breed from that gym, at least. Certainly the last of the, of the you know, felt direct input of Brendan, you know, mm. what, he, what he's done in that part of the city to Sheffield and the impact that sh that region of Sheffield have had on not just on British boxing, but on world boxing. It's nothing short of remarkable, yeah. you know, and that, that's testament to Brendan Ingle and the work that he done in that gym and how he just galvanised that entire community, you know, and it didn't matter how old you were, what you looked like, what colour your skin was, anything like that. Everybody was welcoming that gym the same way and they were treated like Brendan's own children, you know, and, and they're all testament to that. And the great thing is as well, you can tell an Ingle fighter a million miles away. You can walk into a, any boxing gym and see him train. You go, that kid, that person's trained at the Ingles. You can just tell, yeah. even with a skipping rope, it's unbelievable. The foot, you know, it's the footwork, the skipping, everything like that is drilled into them. And they all have a very similar style of all quite flamboyant, all really attractive on the ITV friendly. And that was one thing Kid was criticised of early in his career, it just being a that. little bit flat. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It just wasn't clicking for him. But you know, I'm so glad that he's come through what he has had to come through. And as I say, the performance against Jazza Dickens last last time out, that was a true 
Ingle fighter performance. It was remarkable, and hopefully, it's the start of many world title fights to come. Yeah, right. Because I mean, look, the featherweight division's a good one, and look, he's a big feather as well. So potentially, you're looking at maybe super feather for him as well. And he's spoken about, yeah. you know, either trying to get these guys over from America to fight, or him happy to travel. Um, he's fought in America before, and it'd be good to see Kid really take that next step. Uh, let's not looking past Kiko Martinez, but. Kid Galahad should beat and should, not comfortably, because Kiko's there, he's strong, he's tough, he's experienced, but he should beat Kiko and then set up something good in the spring or, or the summer of 2022, whether that's Josh or you mentioned Gary Russell Jr. there. There's so many fights, to be fair, at Fever. Uh, Terry Harper's on the card as well. She takes on Alicia uh, Baumgardner. Um, it's weird because we've seen two Americans come over recently. We've seen, um, oh, we, oh, I've completely forgot her name there. We saw the girl that, um, that Shan, uh, Chantel... Mary Shannon McGee, Courtney apologies. Huh? No, Mary yeah. McGee, apologies. And I was there and I should know that one. We saw Mary McGee and we saw Jamie Mitchell, who Shannon Courtney lost to. So two, we sent a brawler and we sent a boxer. And I have no idea what this Alicia Baumgarten is going to be, but Terry's got to be ready for both. She absolutely does, you know, and, and that's the the one thing with, with Terry that we've seen, you know, she's been, she leaves no stone un, unturned, you know, and we all know the story now, this incredible story of a girl who worked in a local chip shop going on to become champion of the world, but it's mm. every inch deserved, you know, she's, she's worked her socks off to get to this point in time. She had that wonderful fight with Tasha Jonas uh, last summer in, in the matchroom back garden, which was... Is she going to be upset just, there is no chance of doing that again? Now Tasha's moved yeah. on to Sky. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I know that's the frustrating thing. You know, it, it was crazy because it was one of the fights of 2020 by a country mile. Gen didn't matter about gender. Tasha Jonas and and, and um, Terry Harper was an absolute cracker. And it, it, it still shocked me now that Eddie didn't make them throw back and do it again. I know Tash yeah. went on to fight Katie Taylor, but you know, I'd much rather have, to have seen a fight Terry Harper because they give us 10 absolutely scintillating rounds from start to finish. But listen, she's moved on since then. She's had a great w uh, win at Wembley last time out against Andes. Mm. And, um, you know, she's on the road to hopefully uh, adding a few more belts. But everyone that works around Terry Harper, and I know a strength and conditioning coach, you know, a few people that are in that inner sanctum of her team. And they say nobody works harder. You know, this is a girl that is putting everything into every single session. And it's paying off inside the ring because her improvements over the last couple of years has been absolutely astounding. And there's some huge fights out there for her in the future as well. What do you make about the growth of female boxing? A last one on this. Um, I think it's good. We had Annie Scotney in here uh, last week. And she's, look, she's, she's the future, isn't she? She's really, really good. Um, we saw Chantel Cameron look really good against Mary McGee. We saw the fight yeah. on the weekend as well, which was a fantastic fight between Hamadouche and, uh, and Maya. What would you make mm -hmm. of female boxing right now? I love it. I think it's in a wonderful place right now. And, I, you know, I'm going to bang the drum once again, but I just think it's time for parity now. You know, mm. I, I think it's the time that these elite girls moved up and did three minute rounds you know i think it's crazy that we've still got them to doing two minute rounds and i know yeah. the fight i watched the fight from the weekend michaela meyer and hamadusha neither of them took a backward step and it was an absolute war of attrition for 20 minutes but it wasn't a sweet science it was yeah. a brawl it yeah. was two two very talented boxers brawling away because i think when you put it over two minute rounds they can these, do that you know, you've got the gas tank for that too yeah exactly they've got the gas tank to just punch for fun and it just takes the tech, the technical side out of the sport a little bit, takes the game plan away a little bit when you know it's kind of like a race. It's almost like amateur boxing in that it's first cross the post. It's not a marathon, it's a sprint, let's go. And I think it's a little bit, you know, when you're looking at what Michaela Meyer's done, what Terry, Har you know, Terry Harper's done now as a world champion, 
Katie Taylor and you know Tasha Jonas and all these girls who've been to the Olympic Games and you think it's kind of embarrassing to then mm-hmm. ask them to do two minute rounds two tens to fight for world titles I get it at the at the lower levels I get it when you go further down the rung you know to kids who haven't been to the Olympics who haven't got experience but I think once you get to the top level once you get to world title contention They've got to fight over three-minute rounds. We want to see parity with the men. It happens over in MMA. The girls in the UFC fight five, five five-minute rounds, just like the men do for world titles. I think the sooner we get three-minute rounds for women, the better the sport will be because, one, we'll get more viral moments for these superstars because, you know, look at Clarissa Shields, probably the biggest female boxing star on the planet. She's got, you know, two, maybe three knockouts in her entire record. She's a multiple weight world champion. She might have had two or three knockouts. You know, Mm -hmm. it's so difficult for these girls to get, to get recognition outside of the, you know, hardcore boxing fan. The way you do that is viral knockouts, go viral with, you know, and everything else. So I just think they're missing a trick a little bit. I think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable they will go to three-minute rounds. I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. I bet you there's someone out there, stat guy, and there's always those boffins, right, that will do... I bet they'll prove that more knockouts happen in men's boxing between the two and three-minute round than they do between the one and two. I bet there's more in that last minute because of fatigue... And the females would get that as well. Of course, one hundred percent. You know, there's listen. There's also there's also stuff out there with which compares female jockeys to male jockeys and how they're more susceptible to knockouts. And I accept that. You know, the female anatomy in that context are going to be more susceptible to knockouts. It comes to the amount of fluid on the brain, the amount of muscles in the neck. Mm. I get it. But you're now comparing a woman falling off a horse at 40 miles an hour with a man falling off a horse at 40 miles an hour. That's not comparable in boxing because men aren't punching women. Women women of the same genetic makeup are punching one another. The only stats worth looking at in this department is the UFC are more women in the UFC being knocked out than the men and is all those knockouts making them uh, suffer and being out of action for longer the answer is a distinct and very clear no there are far less knockouts in the UFC in the women's divisions than the men's divisions that's the only stat we need to look at let's move forward please and do three minute rounds in boxing indeed well said Mr Nick P alright you listen to Final Extra here on TalkSport 2 and that was a look ahead to the big fights this weekend thanks to the zone remember it's your boxing your way game change next we're going to turn our attention back to UFC 268 we're at MSG how y'all doing tonight champion of the world Kamaru the Nigerian nightmare when you share an octagon with someone this tough you can't help it. You know that respect is gonna come. So I had to show him that respect. Yeah, it was good to finally see that respect between two guys that are atop the tree in their division. I really do believe that if there was no Kamara Usman, Kobe Covington would probably be the UFC welterweight champion. He's that good. Unfortunately for him, there is a guy called the Nigerian nightmare, Kamara Usman, who, in Dana White's words, and I heard this at the end, and I'm sure Nick Pete will probably uh, hear this as well I've heard this story as well he said it's the best welterweight ever and I mean I was like well, GSP uh, Dana does this a lot he just forgets what happened last year like GSP's there um, is he the best welterweight ever? 
Uh, I don't think so at the moment. No. As you say, Dana getting a little bit of recentism there. That's what the best mm. promoter on the planet does, isn't it? It's, yeah. There's the, the best thing is happening here right now. Uh, <laughs> forget about everything else. Uh, I think. Listen. I think when you look at Kamaru's run of title defenses and and run of form, this undefeated mm. record that he's on the UFC, it absolutely stands up against any other record in welterweight history. You know, there's no there's no layups there whatsoever. Mm. Um, I, I think he's got a little way to go yet. There's still a couple more fights. I'd like to see him obviously get him with Leon. I'd like to see him fight uh, Vincente Luque. I'd like to see him fight maybe even Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And then maybe of course, even Hamzat. Hamzat, baby. You yeah. have to bring him up, buddy. The elephant in the room. Hamzat Chemaev. He's put, the guy. You could put him in a title fight right now for me. I know it's crazy. Exactly. I just think about him. He's got that mystique. There's something about him where I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if he is UFC World to champion next year sometime. I, I don't know why. I just think that he's a bit crazy and a bit scary. The beauty of the UFC is, you know, obviously they built this thing 25, 30 years ago with boxing in mind. As boxing fans, they, they kind of went, right, we'll take everything that's great about boxing and we'll take everything that's awful about boxing and throw it in the bin. And then we'll take a little sprinkling of WWE on top. And this'll, you know, and, and that's how they basically designed the UFC. That's why it's so attractive. That's why it's got all the best fighters in the world because the way they've built it. Um, but also it allows, the, yes, there is a ranking system, an official UFC ranking system, but it doesn't always mean that the number one guy gets the next shot. Dana mm. White and the, his team of matchmakers are in an enviable position where they can rich pick anybody. And if the fans want to see a certain fight, they don't have to wait for the, a guy to get into the number one spot. If a guy is making the right noises and the guy's going to sell pay-per-view and the fans want to see it, they make the fight. And, mm. and I think Cam's at you know, is literally a phone call away. I don't think he's next, but I don't think he'd be too far behind. No, I agree. He must be in the running. Um, let's talk about the, the co-main event because I feel like this one's the one that there is. All the others were pretty much KOs and you could understand the decisions. You understand the decision with uh, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. You understand the division as well with Shane Burge. You get them all. Rose Namajunas yeah. against Wei Li. A lot of people thought that Rose lost that fight. Close, very, very close, yeah. but a lot of people thought she might have lost it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I was scoring it live, obviously, from inside the arena. And I, mm. I thought, don't, don't get me wrong, I think Zhang Wiley was sensational. I thought the work she's clearly been doing with Henry Cejudo, who's, a, who's an elite wrestler and a yeah. two-time UFC, two-weight UFC champion, that absolutely paid off. Because for me, Wiley dictated where the fight took place. The fight took place on the ground. And it was a grapple. It was grappling. It was ground and pound. It was ugly. It was messy. Exactly what she wanted it to be, a very physical fight. However... I did believe that Rose Namajunas found a way to win. Mm. And that sounds crazy because, because of this. I, I had Rose winning three rounds to two. However, as mad as this sounds, when they read out the scores at the end and they said 47-48 to Rose, mm. I thought, yep, yeah, same as me. Then they said 48-47 to Zhang Wiley. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm not arguing with that. One round changed. There was a couple of close rounds in there. But when they said 49-46 as the I final score... I thought Whaley got it. When they said that score, too. I thought Whaley's got it. Yeah. And I thought four rounds to one. There's no way Yang Whaley only won one round. That's, even that's though it. I thought yeah. Rose won. Yeah. So so actually, when they said four rounds to one, the last judge, I thought, oh, the new champion, Yang Whaley's won. Yeah. And then when they announced it as Rose, I thought, no, I didn't see that. I didn't see what that judge saw. So yeah, I could listen, I could argue both ways. But I thought Yang, I thought Yang was sensational. I thought ultimately Rose just found a way to win. 
Yeah, there's so much to talk about. I've only got a couple of minutes, so I'm going to skip. I can't believe I'm going to skip Gaethje and Chandler, but only because there's two stories in there I find intriguing. Alex Pereira I find intriguing because obviously everyone knows about the kickboxing history with Israel Adesanya, and we're trying to find, is he another guy, right? We're trying to find it. And also intrigues me is Ian Gary. And he's going to intrigue, obviously, because everyone's saying he's the new Conor McGregor. You know what people do. Um, talk to me about Pereira and potentially that fight that could happen next year sometime against Izzy if Izzy still is the champion. Yeah, of course. You know, the guy's got history. Him and Izzy met in glory kickboxing and he beat Israel Adesanya, the, the current middleweight champion, twice. First first time by knockout, second time on point, I think it mm. was. So there's obviously a narrative there. And Israel Adesanya is the, the, the undisputed middleweight champion and is himself starting to run backwards through through past opponents. So yeah. obviously the UFC are going to build up Pereira into a, a genuine title contender. So they were delighted that he finally won because he lost the first round. He spent it on his back. But uh, as soon as the second round, started Andreas Mikolaidis tried to uh, go for a takedown and he swallowed a perfectly timed flying knee so that was the end of him and in terms of being Gary you're absolutely right in being potential for the next Conor McGregor you know out of Dublin actually was inspired to get into MMA after meeting Conor McGregor and after yep. being a Conor McGregor fan so that's the crazy thing that the Conor McGregor generation are actually in the <laughs> that's, UFC that's now mental. How insane is that? <laughs> That's crazy. Do, do, do you know what else is mental I heard the other day? This is a crazy one as well. Conor McGregor is older than Tyson Fury. What? Honestly? Isn't that just mind-blowing? Mind-blowing? Really? Yes. Anyway, uh, Ian Gary, yeah, the, the Conor McGregor generation are upon us. They're now in the UFC. Kids that grew up in Dublin that were inspired by Conor and now having their arm raised inside Madison Square Garden. I tell you what, Ian Gary, maybe that fight wasn't the perfect start for him. It didn't quite go his own way. But when he needed it, he pulled out a sensational knockout to get his UFC career up and running. Do not forget his name, Ian Gary. Keep an eye on him. He goes by the moniker The Future. And I tell you what, he is the future. Massive talent. Massive talent. Last 10 seconds. Uh, Michael Chandler, you saw the, probably saw the photo where he's kind of photoshopped Conor McGregor into it. Uh, and Conor responded to it, to be fair. A yeah. Any chance we see that, do you think? You think Conor's waiting for the winner of Poirier versus, um, obviously Poirier for the title. Apologies. Olivier. Yeah, he's a bit like, Conor's a bit like Canelo, isn't he? He can handpick anybody because he brings the money to the table. But I think right now, Michael Chandler just needs to rest that face, to be totally honest. Yeah, he certainly and we'll does. And see, we'll see him in six months or so. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it was an absolutely brutal fight. Nick, really appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much. Um, Lastminute.com lived up to the tally. Fight Disciples lived it up completely. Enjoy your little break as well because you're going to need it after what you've been doing for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Find Extra here on TalkSport 2 myself, Adam Lipo and Nick Peters. Well, it's been a good show. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for downloading our Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're back every single Tuesday for more great content. And if you miss us, make sure you subscribe to Fight Night to catch up on all our other episodes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. 
Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 